Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for joining me on this episode. We are a few days into the new league year around the NFL. The Bills have done a a handful of things, not really like anything above and beyond uh, what many were expecting for them this offseason, but they filled some spots and made a notable re-signing in Jordan Poyer and We'll get into a lot of it, and that's basically what I wanted to focus on the show today, which is kind of resetting where everything is with the Bills. You know, I'm recording this on the morning of March 17th. The Bills say they have about $9 million in cap space at, at the moment after the uh, Dane Jackson contract gets signed that they were, they were talking about. But that is before potentially any other moves that they might make. So, for instance, if they were to cut Isaiah McKenzie, um, that could save them an, an additional $2 million. If they find someone that could get cut around the league, or maybe they're working on someone right now and they need to open up some space, they can still restructure guys like Tredavious White and Taron Johnson and everything like that. So, overall, I feel like the Bills have been quite fiscally responsible with with what they were doing in terms of the cap they just to run down exactly what they've done so far this offseason or I should say in this free agency period over the last week or so they in terms of external free agents brought in Connor McGovern who will likely be a starter for them and very likely be a starter for them he's a guard They signed him to a three-year deal. They signed wide receiver Deontay Harty. And he is someone that brings a lot of run after catch. A lot of the things that they said they would be looking for in this offseason, although he didn't really have the stats from last year or the name recognition that I wonder if some out there were hoping for. And then the other external free agent was Kyle Allen, the backup quarterback who will compete with Matt Barkley to be that backup quarterback. So those were the three. Outside of that, it was a lot of bringing back guys that they viewed as essential to their operations. Ike Butker was the first one they brought back. He's going to be a reserve guard for them that could start if push comes to shove or if someone struggles, but most likely a a reserve guy. Uh, And then... They brought back Jordan Poyer, obviously. He was the the big name here. Maybe it took them out of the equation for spending elsewhere, but you know, for 2023, they have their safety position locked in with him and Micah Hyde. And they still view this as a potential 
chance to compete for a championship in 2023. So being able to utilize their what little cap space that they had or that they afforded themselves on Jordan Poyer and ensuring that they only have one massive hole in their defense, which is middle linebacker, because obviously Tremaine Edmonds moved on to the Chicago Bears for $18 million per season, which is a lot and, you know, more than a bit more than I probably would have gone for, but you know, that's the beauty of the open market. Some guys get absolutely paid, and Tremaine Edmonds was one of them. But Jordan Poyer coming back ensures that they don't have to deal with more than that one spot needing to fill. And Poyer, you know, it, it does bring up some side conversations and everything like that, which we'll get into with the overall outlook of the safety position. But what they have now is locked-in starters for 2023, and they have to be be feeling pretty good about that. The rest of the moves were depth and special teams. Dane Jackson bringing him back on a one-year deal. That signing isn't official yet as of recording of this podcast, but Bean said that they were uh, working on getting that done where it's going to lower the cap hit a bit but give Dane Jackson a bit more in guaranteed money. And then the special teams guys, Tyrell Dodson, who signed a fully guaranteed one-year deal, which I thought was interesting. Tyler Matakevich, who signed a one-year deal, and it looks like he'll he'll be here for another season. Those are two guys that they love on special teams. Cam Lewis, who had a bit more guaranteed money than, than you would have expected uh, for his deal. And it seems like maybe he will fill in the roster spot that they held for Jake Kumaro, Taiwan Jones, those types of guys over the last couple of years. That's where Cam Lewis might slot in as opposed to him being absolute depth for them. They used him as almost an, an every play core four special teams player. And I know everyone remembers the um, the penalty he took when he was trying to block a punt, but outside of that one really bad decision, they liked what he did on special teams. So that's why he's back. And then Sam Martin brought him back as a, as the punter. He's locked in as the punter for 2023 at least. It's essentially a one-year one year commitment. And then kind of a we'll see as they go through years two and three of that deal. So those are the 10 names that they brought back. Still have around, like I said, $9 million in cap space. And when you subtract the draft pick allotment, in terms of the top 51, that takes away a little under $2 million away. So figure they have about $7 million in breathing room right now. They usually like to keep two, maybe $2.5 million ahead of the season. So figure they have like around $4.5 million of operating space. And of course, that's before the decision on Isaiah McKenzie and, and you know other restructures that they could do. So they have some space to to work with if if they needed to make a move. But that's that brings us to kind of the, the reset of how this thing is going to look and really where their priorities kind of shift to in terms of where they should add and how this impacts the draft, which I think is kind of the way that this off, the off seasons generally evolve like the NFL is different than other leagues in the fact that 
free agency is ahead of the draft. Like you look at the NBA, which is the the best comp for this, because the NBA actually has players that can come in and contribute in year one, as opposed to like baseball or hockey. Like there are some exceptions to the rule with hockey and baseball, but generally speaking, those two sports have far fewer year one contributors and you know a lot happens with minors maybe they stay in juniors things like that but the nba is different because they have their their draft near the end of june and then they have their free agency not that much later football's reversed they've got free agency first and the draft after that and brandon bean you know chatting with him over the years it I feel like he would really love if the draft was first and free agency was second. So that way you could invest in the future first and then figure out what you need to do in free agency after that. But be it as it may. So this one is flipped. Whereas free agency influences what happens in the draft and what you're looking for in the in the long-term scope of things. And I think the one position that has really generated the most conversation this offseason has probably been a wide receiver and that's where I'll start because you know Deontay Hardy walks in and gets gets a two-year deal I know the initial numbers fans weren't crazy about but it's effectively a one-year deal and with a bunch of incentives and they do have the ability to walk out but it when you look at what he was a couple of years ago after he was dealing with what he dealt with last year in terms of, you know, ligaments being torn off his toe from what he said and needing to uh, have surgery to replace it. I mean, these are that that will impact how uh, how things go for him. So. When you look at what he did in the previous year, that big yards yards after catch total is there. The speed is there. Obviously, he doesn't have the size. He's a very small guy. He's probably smaller than Isaiah McKenzie. 5'6", around like that 170 mark, I think. But the speed is pretty evident on the field. And as long as they give him some opportunities, he can... He can make some impact on some games. Not saying like he's going to be the starting slot receiver or anything. So it's all about expectations because the contract he signed and what the overall commitment in year one is not indicative of a starter on free agency. So the expectations from the Bills is that Hardy will be what they call their four role, which is someone who can play both the inside at slot receiver and outside on the boundary and really fill in where you need them to give you some give you some juice on some plays uh, maybe against teams that are running man against them Hardy might have a, a bigger role and when teams are playing zone against them maybe it's it's not as prevalent but be it as it may he's going to be like a chess piece sort of thing for them rather than a locked in starter and that's that's what I mean about the expectations behind the signing. I don't think he's going to walk in and be their starting slot receiver. That I mean, he'll compete for it, but 
that'll probably be between him and Khalil Shakir. Or, and this is where we'll head next, someone that they bring in. I do think that this receiver group still has the opportunity to add another significant piece, whether that's through a free agent, you know, a guy like Adam Thielen might make a lot of sense. I know he's a bit up there in age, Uh, probably wouldn't be the most popular idea with a lot of people, but has experience playing on the inside, you know, Stefan Diggs loves him. I'm sure he would work his magic well at slot receiver and be able to play the boundary as well. So if they had a top five of Diggs, Gabe Davis, Adam Thielen, Khalil Shakir, and Deontay Hardy, it's a pretty good group, right? But even if it's not Thielen, I think it's someone that has the opportunity to play both spots. But the ideal here would be someone that can kind of bring them into the future at wide receiver. I did find it interesting that at one point in Brandon Bean's news conference on Thursday, he said basically when talking about Guys like Ed Oliver and Gabe Davis, they said that they would look to extend them beyond their their uh, current deals. But that it was kind of like a, a throw-in rather than a declaration. And obviously a lot has to be dictated by the market. I'm sure both of those guys, or at least Gabe Davis is going to want to play out the year to see how he stacks up, to see if he can improve his his market value. Um, Ed Oliver might be a, a, a candidate to sign an extension ahead of the season like they did with Dawson Knox last year. But, but the Gabe Davis throw-in with that was interesting. So perhaps he is a part of their long-term plan. But if he is not, or if they feel like they're going to have some trouble re-signing him, then that potentially creates a window for them to draft a receiver. And it would make sense for a lot of different reasons. You know, they they don't have... I mean, the two guys that are locked in, in terms of who could be in their top three, are Diggs and Khalil Shakir. And we still don't know what Shakir's overall trajectory is going to be. Deontay Hardy signed through 2024, but... You know, that's, he's only guaranteed 2023 at this point. Isaiah McKenzie, who has a roster bonus due on March 19th, a couple days from recording of this podcast. It certainly didn't seem great the way that Brandon Bean talked about the situation when, when asked about it. Uh, he spoke in past tense, saying, you know, he's been great for us. Didn't really give a, a clear vote of confidence. Said that they're going to talk internally about what to do with Isaiah McKenzie because of that roster bonus coming due. He also said they need to make sure, quote, 
making sure we don't have too much duplicate, end quote, which is a pretty clear comparison to what they just signed with Deontay Hardy. And McKenzie has played that four role that they want Hardy to be um, in the past. And they can save $2 million on this year's cap by cutting Isaiah McKenzie. And this has to happen before March 19th. Otherwise, they have to commit $250,000 more to this year's salary cap for McKenzie. So if I had to guess, I think McKenzie's probably cut. At the very least, restructured, pay cut, that sort of deal. But, you know, it didn't... It sounded a bit ominous about his future uh, and what they're going to do with him. So outside of Diggs and Shakir, they've got really nothing signed for the long term at receiver, which could enable them to look for a boundary receiver in the draft at some point. Someone that they can develop behind Diggs and and Davis this this past or this upcoming year with how much that they really try to avoid pushing a first-year receiver into a, a big role within their offense. They have really stayed away from that in general. I mean, they did it with Gabe Davis in his first year out of necessity, but even in his second season, he, they still kind of held him outside of the top three for the most part. Same sort of deal with Khalil Shakir last year. Like, he, he started the year as a healthy scratch, and then began to play a bit more as the season went along, but wasn't this huge contributor even down the stretch. Made some good players here here and there, but you know, nothing nothing to where it for, forced their hand to put him into the starting lineup. So that's why it could be a good time to start the clock on on a young receiver. But if they don't they don't feel strongly about someone. They have, at the very least, a four-pack of receivers right now in Diggs, Davis, Shakir, and Hardy that they would feel comfortable with. And then if they add a another veteran free agent that can kind of do a bit of both and maybe continue giving them opportunity for Shakir to develop in the background, I think that might be a way to kind of just put a Band-Aid on it for this year. But eventually, they're going to need to invest in a long-term receiver. And it really all depends on on how they feel about Gabe Davis and if they really want him to be a, a piece of their puzzle past 2023. If the answer is yes, then don't draft a receiver. It would be fruitless at this point. But if the answer is, I don't know, then they should think about drafting a receiver. Outside of receiver, uh, the other two offensive spots that have generated a ton of conversation this year have been the offensive line and at running back. I'll, I'll start with running back because clearly they haven't made a move there outside of restructuring Naheem Hines to keep him on board for 2023, but even that restructure was... Not like a, okay, this guy's going to be one of our top two sort of move. It's a, we we would like him to be 
in the mix to return kickoffs and and be that gadget player, but it's really tough to invest that sort of cap room or more cap room in him when they just didn't really have the confidence to put him on the field on offense at any point. Like, they gave him 80 snaps total over how many games was it? Like 10 or 11? That's not going to cut it in terms of what they need out of a, a second running back. They they love having two running backs. They don't want to go bell cow unless someone really comes in and just blows them away. So that's why a move at running back is coming. Whether it be through free agency or the draft, they are going to do something at running back because they're not walking into the year with just James Cook and Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines to them is a three. James Cook is a 1A, 1B, and they need the other 1A, 1B with James Cook. So whether that's free agency or the draft, they need to do something. And the one place to look, because it was a bit of the conversation on Thursday at Brandon Bean's press conference, is someone with a differing skill set to what Cook and Hines have, someone that's got a little bit more weight to them, a little bit more power to their game, because that's just not Cook. You know, Cook showed, I think, a little bit better than I thought he would between the tackles last year, but he still has a long way to go, still bounces too many things out wide for for me. And those tough yards that they usually depend on Josh Allen for, you know, that they need to give him some help or give them another option from that perspective. So finding someone that is above around that 200-pound mark where Cook and Hines are, or where Cook is, I, that that seemed like a bit of a priority to them. Uh, and even, Bean even admitted that they wanted to add someone with who is a little heavier, is, is how he termed it. So if they look the free agent route, still some names out there like Leonard Fournette, like older guys. Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott. I know no one's crazy about Ezekiel Elliott. I get it. I tweeted, hey, maybe that that might be someone who fits the profile of what, what they could be looking for in a differing skill set. The amount of replies are like, no, he's washed. No, he's he's done. No, he's washed. I get it. But I'm not putting that out there because I want it to happen. I'm putting it out there because I feel like that's the type of move that they could go after because I feel like he could be pretty cheap and would give them a little bit of experience to go along with James Cook and the skill set that they were looking for. The other one I would I would keep an eye out for in terms of free agents is just Damian Harris. I don't think his market's going to be great. Maybe it's just like a one-year prove-it or something like that. He's about 215, 220 pounds. Um, had some nice games, not really like a, a game breaker or anything like that, but you know, a, a solid between the tackles runner. That that might be someone to keep an eye on too. But if it's not free agency, I think draft is very much in the conversation here. You know, Bijan Robinson obviously is going to be the one that that everyone thinks about, but I do think he'll probably probably be gone by the time the Bills are on the clock, and so that would null and void that that um, consideration. 
But I think as early as round two is completely justifiable in their in their minds. Maybe a guy like Zach Charbonnet or um, in the second round or Roshan Johnson, who I've mocked to the Bills the last two, um, the last two full six round mock draft that I've done. Roshan Johnson has been a piece of that puzzle. You know, big, physical, fast, good on special teams, really fits the profile of, I think, what uh, the Bills would covet, like in, say, the, the fourth round or something like that. So those are a couple of names, or a few names, just to kind of, you know, just to, just to monitor as, as things come along here. So running back... There will be at least one added. And, you know, the other, like, like, let's say they add two, might be a free agent plus a draft pick if, you know, they don't get someone of high pedigree through free agency and would rather just do a prove-it deal and still that wouldn't take them away from potentially drafting someone else. I think that's, that's a possibility here, but... At the end of the day, they will wind up with four running backs at some point um, between now and, and training camp. Then the offensive line, because this is uh, this has been a, a focus for good reason. It wasn't good enough last year. Roger Saffold was a disaster signing for them last year. He was not a good pass blocker whatsoever. One of my lowest graded players every single week. Almost every single week. Just didn't have it anymore. And they needed to get much better at that guard spot. And then the other the other side of it, right tackle Spencer Brown had a had a rough go of it at times in 2022 to the point where through two seasons you wonder, okay, is this someone that they're going to look to replace. But after a few days of free agency here, listening to what Brandon Bean had to say and how he said it, which is more important than what he said, I'm starting to get the feeling that the Bills feel good about who their starting five is going to be at the offensive line this year. Deion Dawkins... No doubter left tackle. Mitch Morse, no doubter center. The only other question is the other three spots. Ryan Bates played well enough, in my opinion, to be a starter again in 2023. I would wager that that's how the Bills feel about the situation as well. And my guess is they want to keep him right where he was. And that was backed up by the fact that after they signed Connor McGovern to a three-year deal... McGovern came out and said, you know, the Bills' vision for me is left tackle. Or, I'm sorry, left guard, not left tackle. That would be quite something. Um, Left guard. And then Brandon Bean walks out and said, yeah, left guard mostly. So it's certainly looking like from left tackle to to right guard, it's going to be Deion Dawkins, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morse, Ryan Bates. The only question, lingering question, is what would happen at right tackle or if they would try to improve upon Spencer Brown. And for how Brandon Bean talked about Spencer Brown on Thursday, 
I did not get the sense that they are actively looking to give him like a legitimate starting competition. I think they believe a lot in Spencer Brown. And I don't know that they want to... I, I think they've seen enough in terms of flashes to where they don't want to miss the boat by by interrupting his development for the potential to have a long-term starting right tackle on their roster. So it's kind of a an optimistic risk on their part because Spencer Brown there are there were quite some times where he was a liability as the right tackle. There are also some games he played really well. I will say. And you just get the sense, you know, Bean kind of said something right after the season about how Spencer Brown went through so much, um, you know, off-season back surgery, really not getting any reps, really not knowing if he would be able to uh, start in week one, but did anyway. And then on top of that, the overall sentiment around Spencer Brown was that he felt like he did some good things as the season went on. So... You know, as as things kind of reset, they've made some moves. Clearly, they have addressed guard, but they've done nothing at offensive tackle. I asked Brandon Bean the question again, you know, acknowledging everything that he went through, what they feel about Spencer Brown as a starter, and if they want to add legitimate competition. To which Brandon Bean said he believes Brown is, quote, trending up. And thought the tackle, quote, did really well down the stretch for us. And we are very confident that he's going to solidify that, end quote. He was, you can always tell when when Bean gets a little bit fired up about certain things. And I think he's fired up about Spencer Brown and Spencer Brown's potential. So to me, you know, they, they could go out and, and sign maybe a, a veteran offensive tackle just to compete with him, but it certainly didn't feel like, sound like, look like a team that was dead set on trying to improve the right tackle position. So maybe it gets crossed off the list for early round consideration. Maybe they think about it as as uh, the draft wears on. But I just don't think it's the priority that I'm sure a lot of fans want it to be. I think they believe that Spencer Brown could take a jump in 2023. And they don't want to miss the boat on that. Because they believe firmly in draft, develop, retain for the most part. And if they were to hit on Spencer Brown as a third-round pick, that goes a long way for for what they're trying to do on the offensive line. So yeah, I think Spencer Brown's going to be the right tackle this year. I do. So that's kind of where things settle in at the uh, on the offensive side of things. They've got their backup quarterback uh, and... You know, they haven't found a second tight end. Maybe we'll get into that on future episodes because I do think that could be a consideration in the draft. But, you know, that's that's not the 
overall time, or it's not the overall chatter following free agency. I do want to shift over to the defensive side because they don't have a lot of holes remaining because they've they've done a lot of backfilling and obviously they re-signed Jordan Poyer. But I do want to take a look at it just from a a long-term perspective. You know, they seem settled at cornerback for at least the next two to three years with Tredavious White, Taron Johnson, and Kyrie Elam. That's that's the way things are trending with how they feel about those three guys. They know Matt Milano signed an extension, and it's a heck of a commitment for a guy who's going to be entering his 30s and has had some injuries pop up here and there. But it's effectively a locked-in three-year commitment, and they can get out in 2026 if they want to and save about $5 million on the cap, but even then, that's... Not all that much. He's got big cap hits coming up. You know they they have invested in Matt Milano to the point where they probably want him to retire in Buffalo. Next to Matt Milano is a humongous hole, which they don't have a starter right now. Sean McDermott said after or at the combine that. Terrell Bernard played middle linebacker in college, so he believes he could if they needed him to. Tyrell Dodson has resigned, but Tyrell Dodson is more of a special teams guy, and we've seen what he was when, when he got on the field. So there is a, a massive hole at, at linebacker at the moment, and they have not signed anyone externally. Could be a consideration, but... I do wonder if re-signing Jordan Poyer kind of made them go, okay, well, we're just going to have to figure it out at linebacker. Because they could have used those Poyer, that Poyer room on their cap to address linebacker and then figure it out at safety, maybe with a younger player or something like that, but... But yeah, this is a uh, linebacker's a, a huge need, both short term, obviously, and, and long term. We don't know what Terrell Bernard is at this point. Maybe he's nothing more than a third linebacker in their scheme. We he wasn't uh, he did not have the best of games when they when they used him as a starter early on in the year. Kind of drifted down the depth chart as the year went along. But they aren't likely writing him off just yet. But linebacker to me, and I know with how much emphasis has been placed on investing in in offensive pieces this offseason, I know how this is going to sound. But I would not be shocked if that first round pick of theirs, that late first round pick, would be their starting middle linebacker. Or maybe they, they trade out of the first round and and draft that linebacker in the early second. It just doesn't seem settled at the moment. They don't have someone that I feel like that they can depend on, or at least to the degree of having a 
a blue chip prospect on the field learning as they're playing and trying to help them get to where they want to go to win a Super Bowl in 2023. So that overall feeling of unsettled, of being unsettled there with Bernard and Dodson. Heck, even throw Balen Spector and Tyler Matikiewicz in there if you want. Those two guys are probably special teamers anyway. I mean, three out of those four are probably special teamers if we're if we're being frank. But to me, linebacker kind of shifts higher on the draft priority list based on what they've done, what we've heard, how settled they feel with the offensive line, you know, making a, a move at receiver. It's it feels like it's it's starting to shift in that way. So it, it should it could be a major consideration in the first or second round. And I would not be shocked if it's their pick at 27th overall. But they do have other long-term needs on the defensive side of things. And, you know, that's that's why looking ahead with contracts and everything like that could be a, a good way to, to anticipate their next move. You know, defensive end, they've spent a lot at it. And they probably have another year before they have to invest another draft pick in it. But A.J. Epines is going to be a free agent after the year. Don't know that he has played his way into a second contract, especially if they're going to be, as what Brandon Bean put it, tight to the cap again next year. So I think maybe this could be his his last year in Buffalo. But they still have all three of Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, and, and Boogie Basham signed through 2024. Defensive tackle, that's one to, to keep an eye on in terms of like maybe a mid-round pick or something like that. Maybe, you know, maybe a second-round pick. Who knows? Depends on the board. But all three of their top defensive tackles, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, free agents after 2023. They've said that they want to bring back at Oliver. We'll see how those negotiations go, but he's a guy that I think they want to invest in. So perhaps they find someone that can be the long-term one technique in the third, fourth round range. Kind of like what they did with Harrison Phillips in one of their first drafts. I think that that could be a way they play it, but, um, but yeah, I think... I think defensive tackle might be one of those sneaky draft needs. And then safety is the only other spot here that I haven't talked about, but it's the one that really generates a lot of thought and consideration in terms of the draft. Because while it's great that Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are back for 2023, you can't get around the obvious elephant in the room is that Jordan Poyer is entering his age 32 season. He's going to be 32 in April. Micah Hyde's already 32, 32. He turns 33 in December. Hyde is signed through this season and this season only. Poyer is signed through the next two seasons. Still, interestingly, his the numbers on his contract have yet to come out as of time of this recording. 
which makes you believe that it's not for as much as they wanted. And maybe there's an out after 2023. And heck, if they go on to win the Super Bowl, Jordan Poyer even said, hey, maybe if we win it all, I ride off into the sunset. So retirement could be on his mind. So they might lose both after 2023. Regardless, they have an opportunity here to develop someone behind two masters of the defensive scheme. And they have some options here, whether it's through the draft or maybe they decide, all right, let's let's move Christian Benford to safety. I think a lot of it could depend on how the draft actually shakes out. Because if they do find a safety, then it's probably not in their best interest to move Christian Benford over over to safety when they're already going to be using that development time on on someone else to potentially start in 2024. Or if they don't draft a safety, maybe Christian Benford is there, okay, well, now we're going to put him over there and develop him as that potential long-term starting safety. Give him that one year to transition from, from cornerback to safety learn from Hyde, and and then go from there. Maybe it's Benford and Poyer in 2024. But I did find it interesting that Brandon Bean brought up that, that type of conversation when talking about Benford. So that's, it should be, and very much is on their minds about what, is down the line at safety. Like I said, 2023 covered. But 2022 caught or taught them a lesson, I think. It showed them that what they got from 2017 through 2021 and only missing four games combined between Poyer and, and Hyde is not sustainable. In fact, it is downright lucky that they had that run for that long with so few injuries to, that cost them games. I mean, combined in 2022, playoffs included, Hyde and Poyer missed, I believe, 22 games total. And in the five years prior, four? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit different. Bit of a different way to to go about it so I think they do need to prepare for the future and it all like I said it all depends on the board so their their options are open they've got plenty of them and I don't know if safety is like first round consideration I don't know if there's a safety to take at the end of the first round we're talking that second third fourth round range that could be right in the bucket there if if they are compelled by someone. And if they are, then perhaps that means Christian Benford stays at at uh, cornerback for the time being. They do have DeMar Hamlin, who they said is trending in the right direction, but even still, still has to go through lots of testing and only sign through 2024. So it's not really like that. this is a dependable long-term asset 
for what they're trying to do at safety. But that's why I think it's probably draft pick or Benford, one or the other. And then figure out if if that player is going to be able to start in 2024. And if not, see if Micah Hyde will come back for another year, I think is, is the... Uh, is the backup plan. All right, so plenty of still signings to go, still maneuverings to go. I'm sure they'll we'll find out about Isaiah McKenzie within the next couple of days here, whether or not he's cut. My guess is he is, and that would open up another $2 million for them. But a very intriguing first few days even though they were conscientious about the cap. And for all those that yell, cap is fake, cap is fake, cap is fake, this season, or this offseason, and how the Bills were hamstrung by their concerns with the long-term, of, long-term health of their cap in wanting to be a contender year over year over year shows that the cap is is very real there's ways that you can finagle it for for some space but you do it too much you're going to get in trouble one year the rams are a great example the saints have also kind of drifted down and those are the two prime examples of cap is fake cap is fake but it's real and the Bills very much took that into consideration this offseason by only doing two mid-tier signings and one for a backup quarterback for probably low money. So yes, the Bills took their medicine in 2023, but still a, an intriguing offseason all the same. So we'll have much more as we get, go further into the offseason. I'll have some of my... Uh, my friends from uh, the, the the Bills beat come on over the, the next few episodes as we're gearing up towards the draft. And, of course, you can read all my stuff over at theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. And if you act now, you can get in the door for $199 per month, which is a great deal. And I would, I would encourage you to do that pronto if you have not yet. So... Plenty of stuff still to chew on, and I'm sure we'll get into more of draft prospects, everything like that, as as the weeks come on. Because now this is the time where I start to hone in and watch a bunch of film on a lot of these uh, these college guys and get a feel for who would fit, who wouldn't, and what the Bills could actually do with, with their first, second, and third round picks. All right, so that'll do it for me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Piscalia. You can... Find all my stuff at The Athletic. Find me on Twitter, at Joe Biscalia. And uh, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. See you then.